0: Paul wrote in in 1 Corinthians 13, right now we know in part, I know in part, um, and we prophesy in part. So we know, we understand, and we prophesy meaning we talk about God in part. So what you see on that video or when I talk, let me throw myself... Is I can only give you part of the picture. That's all I can give you. And uh, so if your ideas of coming to the series, like, oh, I'm going to know God and then I'm going to tell my neighbors and everybody, let me just lower the bar a little bit. Because Paul clearly says there, we know in part, we prophesy in part, in other words, we talk about God in part, in the parts that we know. But when completeness comes, um, in other words, Paul was saying he wasn't there yet. I would venture to say, I don't think we're there yet. There's some portion of God that you know. And uh, years ago, um, I did a survey, and I found it for whatever reason this couple weeks ago, and I thought, that's it, I'm going to do a series about getting to know God because people were surveyed in our community, and they said, what's the number one thing your spiritual need? And people said, I want to get to know God more. So thus the series. But before I begin, I just want to lower the bar. Give myself a break. You're going to know in part. And if you're walking out of here, first of all, that's a disappointment to some of you because some of you think you already know everything there is to know about God. And you're just trying to tell everybody else what they should know. So if Paul said he only knew in part... And he's given us this idea. We know some, I'll call it fraction, some percentage. Here's a question for you just to think about. If we know in part about God, ready for the question? If you know a percentage of what there is to know, what percentage do you know? Got the number? Everybody get a number. Who here says, I know at least 50%? You don't want to vote, do you? (laughs) No one's like, I'm not. This is a tough one, isn't it? We're talking about God. Um, So it's so difficult to say, I've I've got the corner. I know exactly what God is like. Um, Now let me ask it a different way. Who here can say, I used to think of God one way, but I've changed how I believe or understand God now. Look at the hands of everybody. In other words, we're all growing in our understanding of God. And I think that's okay, because the Scripture actually says, grow in the grace and knowledge, right? Grow. So it, evidently, it's okay to be somewhere on the continuum of knowing nothing, to knowing everything which none of us are gonna know everything. Which always leaves room for, ready? Humility. And it always leaves room for conversation. It always leaves room for other people that might know something that you don't know. Maybe the classic example, Perhaps some of you have heard this in this example is used in many different um, areas, but I know it's used in the area of theology or understanding God is the idea of a bunch of different people holding on to an elephant in a different place. I've heard this. One guy's holding on to the tail and you say, what's God like? And you say, well, God's just very, very thin. Someone sitting on the top and, and just say, God's very broad someone's holding on to the, the trunk and God's sort of tubular and everybody has a different perspective one's holding on to the ear and so depending on where your your vantage point is you would have a different answer and so as we go through this series it's the goal is not that you would understand God perfectly in fact in fact i think actually the more we learn the, sort of the opposite happens. We start to come with more humility and start to realize how much mystery there is. Do you remember when Moses sees the burning bush? And, you know, Moses has run away from Egypt and he's been out in the wilderness and he sees this burning bush and he goes to see because the bush is not consumed. And anyway, and a, and a conversation ensues with God and he's supposed to go back to Egypt and free um, his people. But before he goes, he speaks back to this burning bush, and he says, you know, I'm just going to show up in Egypt and tell all these people to leave everything and follow me. And if, if I do that, who should I say sent me? Good question, right? Let's say you go to work tomorrow and you just walk into the office and say, you know what, guys, I'm sick of this place. Everybody follow me. I'm going somewhere better. (laughs) Now, there might be a few people that are sick of it, but they aren't following. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, you better have some cred. You have a business card or an email or something that can tell us we're going to end up somewhere better. Who should I say? Good question. Um. Here is God's answer, ready? I am who I am. You tell them. Now this has been translated several different ways and people try to figure out exactly how to translate this because this is almost untranslatable. Just tell them I am sent you. Are, are you picking this up? There is not a lot of clarity not a lot of definition. There's no business card. There's no email address. This is bigger than any... You. you I, I will be who I will be is one translation. I will be who I will be. It almost sounds like none of your business. None of your business trying to figure out or define me. So... Why I'm doing this is is, is just a couple of reasons. First, um, think about this statement. You become the God you worship. Think about this statement. You become the God you worship. Or you and I start to reflect or mirror the God that we see. If you see a violent God you have ways of justifying violence in your own life. God did it, he needed to do it. If you see a loving God, you have reasons to reflect love in your life. you see a forgiving God, you have reasons to forgive. So we start to reflect the God that we worship. And so, for the the most important reason to do this series is um, I hope that it makes us all better people. Uh, Not smarter, not better at arguing, none of that's really important. But just better people. That is to say, um, can I can I retrace a little bit? Can I go backwards in time? Um, when I did the next 20 series, I, I set up an idea that I I'm probably going to visit again during this one because it's so important. But people grew in their knowledge or in their understanding of God, and perhaps a better way of reading the the biblical story is in in. In the early days, people saw God in a certain way, that God was violent and vengeful and tit for tat and a bit moody and you had to do certain things to appease God and this is how people understood. But this is universally how humanity understood. But time went on and, and, and people grew and they started to throw out, who remembers this? Please tell me two people remember. Oh my God, did I waste four Sundays? Does anybody remember? Okay. We we, we had to do away with these. The the Bible contradicted itself. God loves sacrifice, and then later, no, God doesn't love sacrifice. He loves mercy. So we grew. Humanity grew. And this is the same thing. And where I want us to land is not over here with the angry, vengeful God. I want us to land way over here with the God, well, you already knew I was going to say this, the God who is what? Love, First John four, and by the way, it says if you, if anyone claims to know God but doesn't love, he doesn't know God. So all the stuff, all the stuff you can quote and all of that. By the way, has it ever bothered anyone else here, like me? Like some people talk about God too much. Well, Chris, you shouldn't say that. You're a pastor. That's all you do. But you know, if you've ever golfed with me, it's not true. <laughs> Right, in other words, sometimes have you found this to be true? The more people talk about God, the less they know. Why do we always have to reassure people? Maybe it's our insecurity that I got to keep quoting God here, inserting God. Nothing wrong with it, per se. Do you remember the story of Job? What are they talking about? God, 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 God. Has anybody ever read it? cover to cover, put your hand up, cover to cover. God's honest truth, somewhere in the middle, you went blah, 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 blah. God's honest truth, put it back up. You just went, oh my God. There's a guy given because Job has all this suffering, I'll, I'll fast forward the story, he has all this suffering, and then his friends come around him, and then they're going to tell him why he's suffering, and all this talk about God. Well, if you did this right, because God's this way, you shouldn't have done this, and you wouldn't be suffering. And it's like 40 chapters long. Wah, 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 wah. And these guys are talking about God way too much because as it turns out, ready? They could talk the talk, but they didn't know what they were talking about. Hmm? They were quoting their Sunday school teachers. They're quoting their upbringing. This is, this is how God thinks. And Job gets involved and it's just, at the end, at the end, it's a great story. It's, it, it, at the end, sort of like God comes to Job and he, and he, he tells him, hey, Job, because um, then Job starts to complain and, and he says, uh, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? All right. Or another translation, God's counsel without knowledge. He says this, Job replies back to God, because God sort of, a chapter before, just explains to him how little he knows. All right? Look at this. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me. Ready? I had no idea what I was talking about. I didn't know what I was talking about. I thought I knew what I was talking about. Who's ever done this to yourself? <laughs> I thought I knew what I was talking about. I was talking and talking and talking and quoting. and, But I didn't know. This was way bigger. Because the chapter before, by the way, Job gave his take on the whole thing. And then God comes to him. It's a great little spot. He basically says, strap in, young man. Now, if God ever says, strap in, young man, you know you're in for a ride. (laughs) Or it says, I can quote it exactly. Brace yourself like a man. Ooh, that's not good. Huh? Who grew up in the era of spankings? Job's about to get one, right? And it's a verbal, it's a mental spanking. In other words, because he talks like he knows so much, and then God steps in and just starts to go boom, boom, boom. It's rapid fire rhetorical questions that he could never in a million years answer. Basically saying, you don't know anything. A while back, um, I was in a meeting, and uh, there's a real complicated issue that that is way out of my field of knowledge, way. So I got one person involved in the church here who knows some stuff about this, and another person who has some history around the buildings here, and then another person. And, and then every time I, I brought a new person into the room, I thought this guy knew everything until the next guy walked in. God's honest truth. You ever been in a meeting like this? You're like, oh, well, you don't know anything. But the first guy talked, blah, 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 blah. You're like, oh, my gosh, this guy is brilliant. And then this guy walks in, just truth. And the other guy was like, oh, oh, I didn't know that. Does anybody see what I'm saying? Somebody adds a layer. So God, Job thought he knew, and God comes in and says, but you don't know about this, and you don't understand this, and you don't, and then Job goes, I'm sorry. I spoke of things too wonderful for me. I like it. You know what Charlie does now that she thinks she can walk? You know what she wants? The stairs. By herself. Yeah, just the top. Like, oh yeah, I can take that. She, every as soon as you get a free minute, she wants to run down the stairs. How many know this is? And some of you are scared. Like, and Chris, parenting, I don't think this is good. Somebody. uh it's too wonderful for her. But in her mind, Link, in her mind, I can walk now. I want to go down those stairs. That's fun. And you know what she says? What I, which Vicky tells me I shouldn't be doing, but I'm holding her hands, taking her down them, I'm teaching her bad things. I know. Don't email me. I know. I've already been told. She says, we, 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 we. This is... Uh, This is too wonderful for her. Are you with me? This is dangerous territory. Job talking about, I can tell you what God is like. This is dangerous territory. Can I say this? This is dangerous territory. Whatever I say, you should take with a grain of salt or just take a whole shaker of salt. And process it, and I know a part. That's all I could ever give you. That's all I could ever give you. And so, it, there's a humility that comes. The other thing, the reason that I wanted to do this is because, because we've been so certain. And I think some people grab. Listen, people gravitate to certainty. If I came up here and said the opposite, but said it with a lot of conviction, a lot of people would just be going, "Yep." That's right, that's right, Chris, that's right. I said, you can know this, you can know this, and I was certain, and I gave it with a lot of conviction. I told a couple of funny stories. People would be right there, same people going. Why? Because we love certainty. Listen carefully. We love certainty. We grab onto it. And certainty makes us feel certain. It's good for your, ready? Certainty is good for your ego, Good for your ego. I'm on the right team. We know. So what I'm doing when I pump you certainty is I'm pumping your ego. When I tell you, you might not have this nailed after the end of the series. You go, ah, I gotta go to a different church. You know, I gotta find a real path. I gotta have someone that could give me the what? Certainty, the final answer, the absolute truth. But the reality is the more we know God, the greater the mystery. The mystics would say it this way, when you come to the end of your knowledge, you're at the beginning of God. Come on, you don't want to reduce God down to some little thing that you could understand, do you? Who here has ever had an experience you tried to explain to somebody We'll call it a God experience. It's experience you couldn't explain. And you try to explain explain it in terms of God. And I say, no, God doesn't do that. But well, how would they know? Who is anyone to limit what God is or can be or can do? And so I want this series for uh, the final reason is this. Some people have just they've given up on that idea angry god the zeus god right the lightning bolt god the throne god the white god the male bearded god anybody with me and they're just like i can't do that anymore and a whole generation is just saying no thanks so perhaps And I know many of them, they won't come here. You can give them a peek online, right? Honestly. Say, you know, maybe God's not quite as simplistic as somebody told you. And maybe those people, Pastor X, Priest Y, Grandma, whoever, love grandmas, But maybe they only had a little knowledge, but they tried to bake their little knowledge as certainty. So there's a couple ways that we're going to approach this. This is all just a setup for the series. But we're going to drift into the heart a little bit. Um, uh, I think it was last Sunday, but I, I, I introduced this idea of left brain, right brain. I think maybe, can we bring the chart back up here? Okay. Just stay with me. Let's Just review, little review. Left brain, analytical, detail-oriented, tidy, personal space. Who likes to tidy up your space? Huh? Who likes a good, huh? who goes crazy when someone messes up your little tidy space? All right? Who's married to somebody that messes up your little tidy space, huh? Wrong. But isn't it funny? Like we're, we're tidy until we don't want to be. But that's another point. That's another sermon. Planned ahead. Got to plan ahead. Got to plan ahead. Who's ever been on a vacation with a person that's always living in the left half of their brain? But we didn't schedule a bathroom break <laughs> these people are jollies on vacation I mean they are wonderful all you do is argue about why you're not on time on the schedule huh all right go back up there I got I'm not okay rule followers and then they want everyone else to follow the rules as well they're not rule followers they want everyone to follow the schedule the plan the rules really good at math all right Strong control over emotion, um, realistic, facts list. Okay, so that's left brain. Now, before we do the right side, everybody look up here for a minute. Um, you're, um, people used to say, I'm left brain or I'm right brain or left brain dominant, right brain dominant. Most research is coming out to say that that's actually not true. Scientifically, they're they're researching and saying, you're not really dominant. So it seems to me what happens is, you just play more in this side or you play more in this side. You're encouraged more in this side, you're rewarded more, and so you you drift to one side or the other, my words. But we have these two, literally the science is saying, we have two sort of halves to our brain. And the left side, seems to do these functions. The right side, let's do the right side. Um, Can you throw it back up there one more time? The right side, creative, spontaneous. You could read here, not on time as much. (laughs) Right? Anybody have a creative, spontaneous kid and you're trying to shove them into the, the rigors of an academic system that's left brain, anybody? tough, right? Honestly. Think about this. Anybody have a kid who's the most loving human being on planet earth, which is really what all you would really want, but they can't get to anything on time. And you're in this terrible predicament where you're trying to spank them or beat them or threaten them or whatever. And you're like, why am I doing this? Because this is actually how I want my other kids to turn out. But they're not going to these things on time. When I was, uh, When I was in school, one of the things I studied was a lot of cross-cultural things. So, um, anthropology. And we had to learn about different cultures. And now, now, let's just take an American culture in general. American culture, we value being on time. Except at church, but I mean, most other things. Mm. Punctual. Be on time. Who was taught this? That's responsible, it's respectful, you're wasting other people's money, you're wasting other people's time. Who's had these conversations? Huh? Who's received these conversations? Who's dished them out? <laughs> be on time, be on time, be on time. Turns out that's really an American idea. Now there's other cultures that embrace it as well, besides. So one of my professors was trying to help us understand other cultures aren't, they just aren't that way. Relationships to them are way more important than punctuality. So if you're having a conversation with somebody, you're supposed to meet this guy over here at three o'clock and it's two 30 and you should be leaving. There's no way you would leave because you're having a conversation. Now to us, this is unthinkable. This other guy's going to be waiting for me. This is terrible. This came to light, we took a trip to Malawi several years ago. And I mean, (laughs) you know, I've been many times, so I already know the drill. Basically they make a schedule and nobody follows it. (laughs) But they make one, and by the time you get through the end of the day, you're two, three, four hours late. So we're going to a village to meet the chief and learn about a water system that's gonna pump water and you know, it's like a, um, a, a, um, like a treadmill type of a thing, but it's a pedal thing you'd stand on, a very cool thing and they're gonna show us what they were doing with the work we were supporting there. And you know, the team members get a little agitated but, like, but we're late because they give them a schedule which they never should have gave it to. Don't give these Americans a schedule. Just tell them we're gonna have a nice day. But they want a schedule. Trust me, I've done a lot of trips. Pastor, could we just get a schedule because we just need to know so we can get all upset at you when we're not on time. (laughs) So you get the schedule. And then I mean, one young guy, he was distraught. I mean, I had to pull him aside and say, look, they don't care. So stop caring that you're on time. It doesn't matter. And he he literally couldn't unplug that. This is important. Because if you're on time and you do your math and you get your assignments done, in our culture, you are rewarded, rewarded, rewarded. You're lauded. You're lifted up. You're heroic. 4.7. Dear God, how do these kids get these grades? Anybody with me? That's our culture, our school systems. And dare I say, this has also happened in the church, where we're operating and we're rewarding left brain thinking. Now, listen very carefully to me. We need both. Who likes both sides of your brain? Who wants to keep them both? You need both. You need logic. You need math. You need analytical skills. You need to deduct. You need, but you need creativity. You need spontaneity. Um, if you can throw this chart back up there, I want to drift you through the other side. You can see how little this has been rewarded historically. Seeing the big picture, intuitive, daydreamer. Oh, who got an A in daydreaming? In other words, not only do you not get an A, you get a what? Deduction for that. You get a minus for that. You don't don't daydream in school. Um, Go ahead. Non-judgmental, artistic, musical, out-of-the-box thinking. Really, our educational system teaches you to think in the box. Here's the box. Just, Just repeat this answer to me. Just repeat the day on this. Really? I mean, I'm not trying to be harsh because I'm, I'm not here to reinvent the educational system. I don't have that kind of time. But that's all we can do is like, give me the date that this ship sunk and whatever. I mean, that's good. That's part of the story. Now listen, this is important. The the arts. I mean, you know, it's like the system knows they're trying to throw a bone, Right? Now, let me get off of that. In the church, it's been the same. People who can give these cold definitions of God. Moses says, who are you? Who should I say sent me? And it's, well, you can just tell them I am sent you. That's not helpful. No good American would accept that answer. I need, I need a more precise definition. I didn't know exactly what you mean. Lawyers arguing over words and... But not getting the big picture. This is important. Words are just the best we can do. I'll use an English word. Someone will use a German word. This person will use an Italian word. They're just words, they're they're the best thing, which is why, which is why in the scripture we just have metaphor after metaphor after metaphor when it comes to God. It's the best we can do. Just try to think of a good metaphor that works. Probably the most common, because the one that Jesus was comfortable with was the metaphor of father. It's not all God is. You don't define God as, but it's a good metaphor. And it's especially a good metaphor if you have a good dad. Jesus on the cross, Mark 14, is it? Or not even on the cross, but preparing for the cross, I should say to be more accurate, and praying, Abba, Father, let this cup pass from me. Abba, Papa. You about that metaphor. In other words, Jesus taught us something. Now, we're never limited to these metaphors. There are dozens of them in Scripture. But can I say something? And here's where I want to land Today. I hope the metaphors that you choose that work for you draw you to intimacy, love, closeness. Here's what I like to say. God is with us, for us, and in us. And if you follow the whole trajectory, which I I can't stress enough, you can't stop halfway in a movie. you got to see who the person becomes in the movie. But if you, if you follow the whole trajectory of Scripture, it's God with us, God for us, and God in us. Some would say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God with us, God for us, God in us. Let's say it together, ready? God with us, God for us, God in us. The last stressed the least, but should be perhaps stressed a lot more. God in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? In you, the God who is way out there, distant, remote. where You got to shout prayers to or get up high, and you when you do your sacrifice, get as close, right? They're always getting up on things because they got to get where close to where God is, because it was always believed early on that God was way up there, far away. And as time went by, then you had Jesus and Paul, and Paul saying. In God, we live and move and have our existence. We're swimming in God. God's for us. Emmanuel, God's with us. Now, all of a sudden, God's not some being up, remote, who I need to please or need to keep happy and reach to all the time, but it's much more intimate, much more personal, I hope over time in your life that this has been more of your experience. You know? Where God's become more intimate to you. I think people struggle with this idea of their concept of God changing. But why? That's actually very normal. Who here can think of your relationship with your dad from the time you were very young as you grew. Did your relationship to your dad change? Tremendously, probably. Your understanding of your dad changed. Yeah. Because as you grew, right, you started to understand your dad in a completely different light. This shouldn't be surprising for us. We're growing up. I hope. And now... We don't have to see God as this being to be feared and uh, up on a throne. Th- but now, as time has gone and you've grown, you, you, God becomes more intimate. Jesus said, uh, I don't call you servants, I call you what? Friends. Friends. That's not the old understanding. So, father, friend, right? These are, these are words that bring us in a much more intimate relationship. And it's there that I want to take us in the next few weeks, all right? Let's stand, we'll have a closing Some of you, just before we before we pray, some of you it's very hard because you're 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 in for the respect part. And I listen carefully to me. I love respect. I really do. I think we should have a lot more of it in society around in general. I really do. Um, but but sometimes you can't get away from that, so you miss the intimacy part. Does this make sense? So God never becomes Papa to you. It's only yes, sir. And I think if you start with yes, sir, that's a good place to start. I think it's always better to start with respect. Um, But as it grows, it becomes Papa, Abba. It's also in Romans 8. It's also in Galatians 4. You can find it. God puts the spirit in our hearts, where we're, which we cry, Papa, Abba, Father. In other words, so if you're if the thing that's crying in you is more intimate, that's what God's spirit's putting in you, the spirit of adoption, sonship, daughtership. Hmm? I don't know if Charlie has any fear of me. It sure doesn't seem like it. But I mean, there's nothing, daddy, daddy. I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this, daddy. Listen, if any of your concepts of God have God less loving than that relationship, I gotta say, you need an upgrade. It can only be, listen, magnificently more. More intimate, more loving. It can only be magnificently more, Daddy.